Well, so good to have you here again. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter uh, 17. And if you are new to grace, uh, you're kind of jumping in the middle of a series. In fact, I say middle, it's coming towards the end. We're almost done with this with this series through Revelation. It's the first half. It was in the first half of the year that we've uh, been going through here the last month and a half or so. But... Um, but we, we ended last week in, in Revelation 15 that introduced seven angels, seven bowls of wrath. And, and today I'm not going to focus on chapter 16, which actually walks through each part, uh, each one of the bowls of wrath, because what you'll see, if you look carefully, it's very similar to what we've already gone through in the seven trumpet judgments. There are three series of judgments. This is the third series, the bowls of wrath. And and so we hit a lot of that. And what's more figurative in, in, in uh, the, the, the trumpet judgments, we see uh, it, it's more distinctly explained here in chapter 16. But, but as we get to the end of this and we transition to chapter 17, there's a whole new thing that we need to break down and talk about and make sure that we understand. And I'm just gonna tell you this morning, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna do probably a little more preaching than teaching. Uh, not that there are gonna be some things that we'll hit as we read through scripture, but, but man, y- yesterday at, uh, at, oh, at our men's breakfast, Steve Childs, this is all your fault. I'm just gonna blame you. But no, Steve, yesterday, for those of you who were there, he shared his, his, his testimony. And man, God powerfully used him to encourage, I talked to several guys who were impacted by his story. And it's really not his story, it's God's story. But but there was something that just jumped out to me that I think is very important that we need to hit as we jump in here. And so let me just introduce this by talking about, uh, it was a very significant day for me. And, and the reason I'm using this is because it's an analogy that, that fits uh, all of scripture. But um, I, I'm so thankful that Instagram did not exist when I asked Lori to marry me. I am really Really thankful that I, I, I didn't have the pressure of having that Instagram perfect moment of the proposal and you know capturing for all time just the sweetness because none of that existed when uh, it didn't happen. Like I, I, we were living in Cincinnati and we had dated for a while and I, take, I took her to Texas. Uh, no, it was to Longhorn, Longhorn Steakhouse in, uh, in Cincinnati. And I had this great idea of how I was gonna propose, getting on my knee in front of a whole bunch of people and um, I chickened out. I literally did. And, and I'm glad that I did not have Station, the hidden photographer, you know, was gonna capture the moment because they would have been disappointed. Well, here's how things went bad. Um, There's probably uh, too much information, but Lori ate something that made her a little sick. And so we had left and we'd gone to a bookstore and she's like, man, I'll, I'll be back. I just, something is wrong. And, and, and so she leaves and I'm standing there. And the more I waited on her, the more anxious I got and I got sick. And so there were two sick people and, and like, she has no idea what's getting ready to go down. And so, so, so finally we, we, we get back together and we're walking to the car and I, I like, my mind's racing. I'm like, well, I got to do something because I had one of my buddies drop off a whole bunch of flowers to her apartment and all this. And, and I'm like, she's going to know something's up, you know, when we get back. And so, so my mind's racing. I'm like, oh, you know, there's this park that overlooks the Ohio river there in Cincinnati. It's beautiful, beautiful uh, place. And so I'm like, Hey, uh, you want to go? to this park. I said, we can just kind of walk around. And um, Lori's exact words were, I don't want to go anywhere, but 
my own apartment and get to my own bathroom. She's not here, I don't think. Uh, but that, her exact words, I'm like, this is not, this is not pretty. And so we, we get in the car and I'm driving down I-71, uh, uh, headed back to her place to drop her off. And like my mind's racing, like I got to do something because uh, it's just going to be really awkward if not. And so I, I see this pull-off spot on I-71 and I just pull over, slam on the brakes, put it in park. And I, I turn to look at her. Her exact words were, if you're going to throw up, go out your window and not mine. <laughs> not making that up at all. And I'm like, and I, 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 I'm like, no, I said, I'm not sick. Will you marry me? <laughs> Is that romantic or what? I mean, that's how everybody wants their story to go. I mean, it was great. I, like I, I had to ask her three times before she took me seriously and she said, yes, and that was it. But thank God it was not recorded. All you have is my take. I don't, I'm not sharing that one with the kids. You know what I'm saying? So, so when you get engaged and, and you jump into this whole thing of planning for a wedding, all of a sudden, man, your life is consumed. And it's a good consume. Like, like I mean, I say that, like <laughs> the guys normally, it's not always the case, but guys normally, they're not carrying too much of the pressure. Like, yeah, what time you need me here? We'll move a few tables or whatever. But, but you know, the, the, the bride is, you know, thinking all the details. They gotta say yes to the dress. They gotta, you know, secure the venue. You know, who's gonna uh, bake the cake? And, and, you know, what are we gonna do for the reception? And, and how am I gonna break it uh, to my friends that, uh, that I want you, but I don't want you standing up with me? All that sort of thing that goes into preparing for a wedding. It can be stressful, but, but it's a sweet stress. It's a good stress because you can't wait to get married. Because there's, a, there's a, a wedding day coming. There's this sense of anticipation. And so while you prepare, you don't prepare like, oh, I wish we did not have to do this. You prepare with excitement. Now, I don't know, maybe on the parents side, I remember uh, Lori's dad offering me $4,000 if we'd elope. And I'm like, I think he's teasing, but now I don't think he was teasing. Like, I think he really meant that. But, but you know, it's, it's, it, but for the bride and groom, it's like, this is a good thing. Well, it's funny because in, in scripture, beginning in, in Genesis, the earliest we see this showing up is Genesis chapter two. And it goes all the way to the end of Revelation. There's this analogy of, of a wedding that is, is used to describe God's interaction with, with his people. And so I don't want us to miss things as we jump into chapter 17. If you are someone who's been saved, you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ's work, not your own works, it's, it's, it's Christ. He died on the cross. You've put your faith in, in him for salvation. Here's what I, I want you to wrap your mind around. It might feel weird, but, but literally you're engaged. In fact, what we're gonna see in, in Revelation, here's who we are in this story. We are the betrothed. We're the person engaged to be married. But it's not just that there are two people that are getting ready for a wedding. What we're gonna be introduced to here in chapter 17 is a, a third person, a third person who is planning and scheming. Another is it's a person who has something in mind. This is actually a person he wants to do everything that they can do to call off the wedding, to break off the engagement. And we have this really vivid picture painted in this vision in chapter 17, when one of the seven angels, verse one, who had the seven bowls came and said to me, this is John, said, come, I will show you the judgment of the great 
prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. It's not just the, the powerful who have aligned themselves, who have bought into this. No, this, everything that she has to offer has, has been a, a means of seducing even the dwellers on earth. And he, speaking of the angel, carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness where it's interesting in, in the wilderness throughout the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament as well, it's often a place where, where the temptation takes place. It's, it's a place where there's demonic activity, where there's spiritual oppression. You, you go all the way back to the Israelites and what took place in, in their wanderings in the wilderness, what we see in Jesus and Elijah, this, this whole idea of wilderness. It, just, just look it up through, through the Old Testament anew and see how often it's referring to a place of temptation what we see is that he was carried away in the spirit into a wilderness. And he said, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And what those, those names, it's not, what it's doing, those names are ascribing glory and they're ascribing attributes that only can speak of Jesus Christ. They're ascribing them to different powers of this world, to the beast. And so we see, he sees, he has this vision, the scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, it had seven heads and 10 horns. And as you continue to read in uh, verse nine, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Um, there, are, uh, there are the kings there, the 10 horns that you see, verse 12 are, are 10 kings. So it's actually describing what, what these represent. But then he, he's focusing on the woman. She's arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. On her forehead is written, it was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And it's really interesting what, what he says. He says, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. And in fact, uh, it, yeah, there's a sense of astonishment, amazement here, but, but the way marvel is used elsewhere here, it's speaking of people who are actually tempted to, to be, you know, you're astonishing for all the wrong reasons. And, and in fact, King James puts it like this. It says that John, when he looked on this great prostitute, wondered with great admiration even, even like John's been having all these visions and even with what's described, what he's seeing, there's still this, this drawing towards this, even though it's not right. I mean, so much so that if you keep on reading in verse seven, the angel rebukes him and, and says, why do you marvel? What are you looking at? And we go on through the rest of chapter 17 to see and read more about who this person is. But I can tell you who this person is, this, this man, that name that's emblazoned on the foreheads, lots of names on foreheads, lots of titles in Revelation. And, and she's the, the mother of all prostitutes. But if I can use a, an analogy that might help us grasp this this morning, this is just the old flame who wants you to call off the marriage. This is the old flame who wants to break up 
your engagement, the one who wants to be able to stand when they ask the question, is there anyone who knows of a reason why this man and this woman should not be married? Speak now, forever hold your peace. They wanna be able to stand up and say, yeah, let me give you some reasons why. This is the seductress. Seductress, honestly, of your soul, of my soul. And this is a very real thing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sound like an old time preacher this morning, which is a good thing. We're just gonna, we're gonna dig in today, okay? But I wanna, I wanna talk about this because I think this is really, really important. You see, Revelation, it doesn't just reveal Christ and all his wonder, power, and glory. He's not a little baby in a manger. He's not a broken, wounded uh, lamb on a cross. He is a conquering king. It reveals that. But it also reveals what is to come. And, and so there is, there is part of Revelation that stirs us to anticipation. There is a, another aspect to Revelation that warns us, that, that makes us think. And, and today, this message is going to be a warning message. And I'm not gonna speak so much of what is going to happen in the end, though we're gonna get there as we look at chapter 17 and chapter 18 when this prostitute is judged. I, I actually want us to pause and look at what this prostitute is actually doing today in challenging what I think is one of the most ingredients for a successful, healthy relationship. It's faithfulness, challenging our faithfulness. You see, when we're engaged, it's not just like it's, it's us preparing for this marriage supper of the lamb that we're gonna be talking about next week. No, there's, there's all, it's not something we're doing that's unopposed. There's actually somebody that's, that's trying to break us up. And, and so in our preparation, I don't want us to just focus on the details of what is to come. I want us to also be prepared for the opposition that's gonna come. You see, preparation for a wedding is not just saying yes to the dress. It's the first thing, if you're taking notes, and I want you to write down, this is where I'm gonna spend the most of my time this morning. If you're gonna prepare, you're, you're gonna break up with old lovers. You're gonna, you're gonna break up with, with old lovers. And, and throughout scripture, Babylon is, is a symbol for this, I t- said this last week, for this spiritual, this invisible spiritual kingdom that is opposed to God. It results in, in, in humanity and in their intent on rebelling, on, on living apart from God. This promise of God dwelling with his people is, is something that is, is forced aside. And, and, and so I think it's good for us to understand who this person is. She, is. she is the mother of all prostitutes, the one who wants you to forget about the fact that you are engaged. She, she has this title, Babylon the Great. And when you begin to, to think about this, if you've, if you've studied scripture, you, you recognize the family name. We first see her showing up in in Genesis chapter 11 in the old city of Babel where it was a place uh, where this this group of people came together. They built this tower to to, to the heavens intent on 
getting for themselves what only belongs to God. They were jealous for his glory. And, and we know, if we've read this, the project came to a destructive end. But it's not just that, that first city. Now, Babylon is, we, we see that showing up in, in the prophets, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. Uh, if you read through uh, through Second Chronicles, um, the, the, the story of God's people being dragged into exile. It's judgment because of the fact they've been seduced, but it's, it's this ancient kingdom led by Nebuchadnezzar. Here's what he said. This has always been about stealing, this blasphemy of stealing all the glory and the honor that, that are forgotten and taking it for themselves. Nebuchadnezzar, he said this in, in Daniel 4.30, he said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. You, you see this family resemblance, but it doesn't stop there. It manifests itself through, through kingdoms across the ages, but not just through kingdoms, through all different ways that are used to seduce the betrothed, the betrothed bride of Christ, which by the way, when I talk about bride of Christ, understand I'm, I'm using biblical language, New Testament language, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, we who are saved, we're the bride. And, and, and it, this, this spirit of Babylon is all about breaking this up. And, and, and so even here in verse six, I mean, it would appear that John has even fallen under her spell because listen, the world, and, and, and this, is, this is how she's also referred to at other places as, as the world. She's attractive, she seems fun, she seems powerful. There's, there's an appeal here. This, this temptation to unfaithfulness is a real thing. It's not just like, oh yeah, the, the bad, you know, it's out there. No, this is a very real thing. In fact, John, who even at this, in, in verse six, is feeling this strange, weird drawing to this, to this prostitute in spite of everything thing that, that is described here, he had written of her all the way back in, in 1 John 2, several years before these words in, in 1 John 2, verse 15, he, he urged the people of God, do not love the world. Do not love this, this mother of prostitutes, Babylon. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it's not not from the Father, but it's from the world. And here's what he said, verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And what happens as we continue to read through the end of chapter 17, what we read through chapter 18, where it talks about the fall of Babylon, it talks about this this personification, what is symbolized here? We see this fall. We, we are introduced to this enemy, this means by which the beast who's been given authority by Satan is trying to trip up the people of God. It's not just going to happen in the future. Listen, it is happening today, as some of you well know. And while we've got to, man, you know, we thank God that we are on mission for Christ, that Christ has a mission, even for his church. We cannot ignore the fact that there is an enemy who has a mission as well, a mission to call off the marriage, a, a, a mission to deceive and destroy you and me, me as a means of quote unquote, defeating God. He wants to divide the church and this world, which is this invisible spiritual system opposed to God. It wants 
us to cheat on God. And when God inspires John to write, do not love the world or the things in the world, he's making sure that, we're, that we are aware that there is someone else who wants to lead us to a place of unfaithfulness. Now, <laughs> when I was a kid, I grew up in a uh, in church. My parents traveled around and ministered, so I'd go right there along with them. And so I have heard a lot of preaching across the years. And I, I would hear pastors rail on worldliness and maybe they knew what they meant, but I never totally knew what they meant. I, in fact, as a kid, you know, I, I kind of thought that worldliness had, had to do with, you know, just not doing things, not going to watch these movies, not going here, not going there, not eating this, not, not drinking that, not getting your hair cut a certain way, whatever. I just, I decided to just deal with the whole hair thing. I was just like, take it all off, take it all off. <laughs> but no, I, I, like, as a kid, I, and even a t- teenager, I, I incorrectly define worldliness as not doing fun things. I'm like, well, the more you talk about that, the more I kind of like to do what you're talking about. Like, I, let me clear up this whole idea of, of this as we talk this morning. I'm gonna give you a very simple definition of worldliness. It's anything that tempts me to cheat on God. Anything that tempts me to cheat on God. And by the way, I, a lot of times we just think about activities that we do with our hands. Can I tell you that it's an attitude of the heart before it has anything to do with the hands? A lot of times we're like, well, I didn't do. Well, hold on a second. Like Jesus blows up that whole thing of, of sin is only acting in, in the Sermon on the Mount. No, it's, 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 it's an attitude of the heart. And, and, and I, I wanna talk about this. In fact, after Steve had shared yesterday, I was reminded of, just some things from that, that I'd, I'd preached on in the past. And about five or six years ago, I preached something. And I know that you guys memorize all of my messages. And so I'm sorry that I'm gonna say this again because I know it's like, I've heard it. No, hang with me. Now, I was thinking about uh, things, Steve, what you're sharing. Unfaithfulness just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's usually a, a slow fade. I, I wanna talk, openly with those of us who, man, we don't want to, but in a weird sort of way, we find ourselves like John looking on with wondering admiration on the, on the thing that we should be running from. No, no, this, this whole thing of unfaithfulness, which we've all been there at some point in our walk with Christ, it begins with flirtation. You know what flirtation is, Right? Flirtation is asking, how close can I get to something without making a commitment? A few weeks ago, I talked about how a lot of times Christians ask the wrong question. Sometimes we ask, how close can I get to sin and still be a Christian? Instead of asking the right question, just how close can I get to Jesus? Because we're preparing for a wedding. But no, it, this, 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 this unfaithfulness that we're tempted to, it's easy for us to go down this road and like, what is going on here? And it begins with flirtation. It's a slow fade. And, and I'm gonna just give you some questions to think about. And honestly, the answer is not between you and me. So don't get mad at me. Questions between you and God. My, the first question that I want us to consider today is we're addressing the fact that somebody's trying to break up the marriage. Let's look at some red flags. First, first red flag is this. 
Is there anything that I'm flirting with that I should be fleeing from? Is there anything I'm flirting with that, that I should be fleeing from? Because here's what I know. Flirtation reads, leads to rationalization. Ra- rationalization, you know what it means to rationalize? You just tell yourself rational lies. Well, I'm not really, I'm not doing, I, it's, it's not really that big of a deal. But what, what happens is, is man, we're, we're engaged to be married. And, and this whole thing of, of not taking out the old numbers out of our, our phone, it's, it's an issue. And you're like, why? Well, no, it's just, it's, honestly, we're just friends. Well, I'm gonna tell you right now, when we got, uh, when we got engaged, if Lori just continued to hang out and call her old boyfriends, I'd have an issue with that. <laughs> Literally, I'd have a major issue with that. But what happens is like, oh, it's not that, no, we're just, we're just friends. Well, his, the whole point is this, you, you can't be friends with the world and, and be all in on planning for a marriage. And, and I, the follow-up question is this, is there a sin I'm making an excuse for right now in my life? I'm rationalizing why this is okay. Is there a sin that I'm making excuses for right now? It's just like, well, I'm not getting comfortable with this. It's just, I know I, I wanna be careful, but rationalization. Because it's funny, flirtation leads to rationalization. Rationalization leads to justification. And here, here's a warning sign that you've slipped into the justification side. You get really defensive anytime that thing comes up. It's like several years ago, my youngest son, Cole, we had this whole, this rule. I was tired, sick and tired of getting in my bed at night, crawling under, pulling the, you know, the, the covers up and, roll, and getting in the sheets and there being cracker crumbs. There is nothing worse having cracker crumbs stuck to your back. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I'm like, I think it's, it's very justifiable that I'm gonna have a rule. No more eating peanut butter and crackers in my bed. Like we got tables, we've got plates, Seriously, nothing upstairs. So I made this rule. One day I woke upstairs and there is Cole watching Blue's Clues or whatever, eating crackers in my bed. And dude, as soon as I walked in the room, he knew he, knew he was busted. Like he hide, like slips under the pillow. And I just, I'm like, Cole, what's going on, man? Didn't we have this conversation? You know what his response was? It was not, I'm so sorry, dad. Immediately he was like, whoa, whoa, Cassidy gets to do it all the time. It's not fair. Why are you talking to me? Why am I always the bad guy? Like he got really, really defensive. And it's funny because that, that whole thing, you know, in a kid, you see it in your own kids. Like we've all been there. It's funny because we do this in our, in our own life. And, and a red flag is, man, we just find ourselves getting mad about these things, always feeling like I have to be defensive. And I, so I would just say, you know, a great question to ask yourself is this, is there an area into which I don't want anybody speaking into my life? Is there an area in which I, I, I don't wanna hear it? I don't, want my, I don't want my spouse speaking into it. I don't want my kids pointing it out. I don't want friends, my, I don't care if it's my accountability part or what, I, I do not want. In fact, you don't even want me preaching. Right now, some of you are like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Now, is there an area in which you just don't want somebody speaking into your life? Because flirtation leads to rationalization, which leads to justification. But the crazy thing is, the more you flirt with something, the more you hang out with something, the more you, you make excuses for, I know I'm preparing for a wedding, but this is fun too. That, 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 that justification always leads to transformation. And I, w- I would just ask you this question. This 
this old flame, this old lover that you, you haven't failed to cut off the relationship with, how has the sin you've been playing with, how's it changed your life? Because you cannot, you cannot play this flirtation game and, and all this sort of thing without being changed. And guys, you gotta know, me, me giving this is not me uh, shaming or anything like this. I want us to understand that there is someone who is actively wanting to break up our relationship. And the reason why this is so important is because as we continue to read through Revelation 17 to Revelation 18 is that this flirtation, this seduction that's, that's from the world, this flirtation that leads to rationalization, to justification, to transformation, it ultimately will result in destruction. And what we see is a seductress will play you just like she's played so many others. And what the angel does for John he, you know, initially he's marveling at her. He pulls back the curtain to let him see who she really is. But he also lets him see where she's ultimately headed. And as we get into Revelation 18, it's not a beautiful picture. And I think as we get into Revelation 18, this, this whole thought of, man, we've got to break up with old lovers. It becomes more and more real because as we read, what we see is that if we refuse to come out of Babylon, if we refuse to get rid of the old flames numbers out of our phone, if we refuse to give up our cheating with the world, we're going to be destroyed with her. She seems so in control, so self-confident. Like, it's like, this isn't that big of a deal. Guys, the, the reason we're drawn away, James says, man, it's, it's our own desires that draw us away. But it's not our, just our own desires. There's an enemy who's encouraging this. And, and listen, I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna lie. The reason we're drawn away is because there is something to be offered in the short term. There is something that you're going to, to receive in this whole cheating on your engagement if you will. But man, what John is shown is that this is fleeting. Yes, it might be there for a while, but it's not gonna be pretty because what God is doing, he's actually even over this because all of these, these kings that we read about in chapter 17, they're gonna make war on the lamb, but the lamb is going to conquer them. Verse 13, for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those with him. Here, here's a description of those who are with him. They are called, they are chosen, and they are faithful. Revelation 18 says, in fact, verse eight says, for this reason, one day everything's gonna change. Her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She'll be burned up with fire for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and well over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. And what we see awaiting the prostitute is not a pretty picture. One day, the beast is going to turn on what he has used to be the means of seducing the people of God and the people of this earth. And he's gonna leave her naked and 
and exposed. And instead of, of, of her feasting on the finest of worlds, of, of foods herself, you know, the, the cup that she's, she's holding, no, what's gonna happen? She's going to become a feast herself for the beast. He's going to devour her. She's going to be burned. And all those who've joined themselves to her by committing, it's just very vivid language, spiritual adultery with her are in danger of being burned too. And, and man, we, get, we go all the way through Revelation 18 and we see that there are only two responses. And actually into the first of 19, there's only two responses. Either her fall and destruction will be mourned because of how we were duped. We'd set all of our affection, all of our hope on, on, on this prostitute or there's going to be rejoicing that finally this seductress has been taken care of once and for all. Listen, getting ready for a wedding, this preparation, it does involve getting rid of those old flames, dealing with those things. But there are a couple things I'm gonna hit really quick and then we're, we're gonna close that, that we also do in preparation. We, we also make ourselves ready by righteous living. Now, I want, I want you to listen to me, Okay. We are not saved by our works. Everybody believe that? We are not saved by our works. So, so I wanna be really careful when, when, I, when, I, when I say what, what we're gonna talk about because I do not want anybody walking out of here saying, oh, I just have to try harder, gotta strive more, work harder. That is not at all what I'm saying because what we're gonna see, righteous, did you know righteous living is made possible, but it's not in your striving it's made possible by the work of the Spirit. He's doing this work in us. This is why the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is so absolutely powerful. Man, that's why Paul wrote in, in Galatians, man, as we walk in the Spirit, we keep step with the Spirit. We don't go back to the flesh. We, we literally, we see the fruit of the Spirit present in our lives, but it doesn't start with us just trying harder. So I wanna make sure you hear this. Now, what, what we see here in verse six of chapter 19 is, is what we're gonna hit in greater detail next week. Then I heard what appeared to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. It's time. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. This is saying yes to the dress right here. This is it. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is what? It's the righteous deeds of the saints. So let's talk about this, this, this wedding garment just for a couple seconds. Is it given to the bride or does she provide it herself? Well, yes. What I mean by this is, Jesus is going to give us the dress, but we have to put it on. Jesus does this work of, of giving us this beautiful righteousness. Our righteousness is in him, but we have to put it, because we're, we're gonna either stand in that day in, in Christ or we're gonna stand in our striving and our, and our works. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I do not wanna be standing there in my works because I know my life, I know my past. I know who I am without Christ. I wanna be standing in Christ. 
It gives this picture of what Paul said in, in Philippians chapter two, where he said, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. I like this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If it stops there, it sounds like, man, I gotta really, really work at this. But no, you gotta keep reading verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What I love is that the righteousness of the groom is going to work in through our lives and this then it's going to work out through our lives. The righteousness of Christ is going to purify us, beautify us, and ultimately satisfy us. And you see, this preparation is not just getting caught up in all the details. It's breaking off ties with, with our past. of saying, man, I'm all in. I, I, I'm all in on my, on my betrothed. It's, it's not even just making ourselves ready. There's also this anticipation, this the last thing I would say is, is, is a longing for our wedding day. And can I tell you from personal, I'm just gonna say me. You know what sometimes my biggest struggle is when it comes to temptation is that I forget that there's a wedding day coming. I forget that I'm engaged. I, 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 totally, I totally miss out on the analogy of marriage that's all through scripture that from the very beginning, that I've been intended for a wedding day. Man, I remember when, I, when you're getting closer to June 19th, 1999, more excited I got. Like, let's go, let's go. Like Lori's like talking about the flowers. She's talking about, man, I hope the caterer does this. I, like, I can care less. I'm ready to get married. This, this is good. Let's, let's, let's get this party started. But when you're consumed with thinking and preparing for a wedding. You know, isn't it so crazy how you're not consumed by flirting with someone that wants to break up? It's this longing, this anticipation. And I think sometimes the best thing that we could do is get a little yellow post-it note and, and write, my wedding day is coming and stick it on a mirror. So the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning is my wedding day is coming. Oh yeah, I'm engaged. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm engaged. My wedding day is coming. I remember the last time I showed up, Lori and I, about two days before our wedding, we'd gone on a date. Of course, we're talking about the plans, making sure everything's together. But, but then I remember when, when I dropped her off at her apartment and, and I walked away, I remember thinking, in two days, I'm never walking away again. Dude, that is a great thought. And, and I, I will tell you, man, June 19th, 1999, I was done walking away. We've, we've traveled and done our thing from time to time. We haven't always been in the same room, but I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing better than coming home to my wife and not walking away. The marriage came, the marriage was, was, was incredible. Have we fought and struggled and not liked each other at times? Yes, yes, yes. But has it been the sweetest thing, best thing ever happened? Absolutely. The engagement was a period of waiting, but it wasn't and doesn't have to be, even as we wait for the marriage step of the Lamb, have to be a time where we fall, where we call off the wedding. You know, I, I think as we come to the close, it's, it's really easy to ask ourselves this question. Um, 
you know, what's, what's this look for me in real life? I mean, I've hit some of this thing. I, mean, I think they're questions that we should ask ourselves, but not, not in this, oh, oh, I don't wanna miss it. You don't have to live in fear, honestly. I, I, I think as much as anything, we just live with anticipation. We live with this great hope. Listen, have you blown it? Have you cheated on God? Yep, guarantee it. Everybody in this room, we've all sinned. All, all of us, we've all sinned. There's, there's not a single person that is outside, uh, that's outside. You have sinned. What, what do we do? Well, I, I think what we do is, is, man, when we're aware of this, instead of playing games with it, we just, we just confess it. I get word confession is such a powerful word. It literally means not to give God information that he doesn't already know. It literally means just we just say, God, you're right, man, this is not what I want. And, and I think there, there are times that we miss out on, on, on what God has us or we allow shame to control us just because we wanna keep everything, Steve said, put it this way, in a box. We put everything in the box and pride is the lock that, that keeps all that shame in the box. Guys, confession is nothing more than saying, God, you're right and I'm wrong. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us, get that, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then there's, there's also something about not living like this, trying to appear like you got everything figured out. Why is it that we go to church when we think we're, we're living right, we go to the bar when life's falling apart? That makes, that makes zero sense. I would much rather be the, the church be a place that you come with all your problems and all that sort of thing. I promise you, you come to me, we, we, we talk about this. Dude, I, I'm not offering a judgment. I've been there. Man, outside of the grace of God, I'm there. It's all of our story. So we confess, but then we anticipate. We just remember that we're engaged. The wedding day's coming in. Next, next week, Pastor Matt, I'm a little jealous of him. I'll be honest with you, I'm confessing. Like getting it out, getting, getting it out. He, gets to, he gets, to have the, gets to have fun with the incredible, incredible message. You do not wanna miss it. I've already seen what he's gonna be hitting, talking about the Mary's Supper of the Lamb and what we have to look forward to. It is unbelievable. Guys, the wait is worth it, but let's be faithful. We, we have an enemy, but man, the one who has called us, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Let's agree with God. Let's go with God. And one day we're going to understand once and for all what it means to truly experience all that God has for us. And so God, may we leave here, not in shame and in bondage, but God, with, with great anticipation, you've been so good to us in spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of the, the times in which we have fallen, in spite of the times in, in which we've been tempted to give up, or maybe we've for a season tried to walk away. You're, you in your grace have been faithful to convict, to call, to discipline, to, to save, redeem, to restore. And God, I'm so thankful for the good work that you're doing. But God, may we be cognizant of the fact that this, this engagement that we have is a real thing. We're engaged to be married and I can't wait. And may we anticipate that day. But God, while we're cognizant of the fact there's somebody who wants to break this up, God, may we remember that you are faithful, that you will take us through this. And God, may we remember that we're married. And God, if there's everything that happens, instead of playing games, we just confess and come clean. And for what you're going to do through your people to prepare for yourself a bride without spot or wrinkle, we thank you for this because our hope is not in our works. It's in Christ and Christ alone. So God, we look forward to that day and we pray this with great anticipation. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. listen, if there's any of you just need to take next steps, salvation. You have questions about what we've done. We've got a prayer team. I'll stand up here as long as it takes. We'll talk. Uh, you, you know, you feel free to do that. But outside of that, go to Texas Roadhouse, get some steak and support missions. We'll see you. You're dismissed.